Welcome to the third episode of Off the Course, the Superintendent Radio Network podcast about turf heads and their lives outside of maintenance. I'm your host, Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine. My guest today, Steve Gilley, the Superintendent Panorama Golf Club in Conroe, Texas, a longtime player, newer to the maintenance side of the industry. We're going to talk about some incredible stories from his playing career, including the lowest confirmed round of professional golf. Some of you may know the story. He is the third Mr. 55. Steve, how you doing? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. Before we get into your history and before we learn about how you transitioned from playing to taking care of courses, I want to talk about a recent story, and this is just about nine months ago, I think, You won the GCSAA National Championship, and in your late 40s, not a great score probably for you when you were in your 20s or in your 30s, but a two-over par, 176, to win the GCSAA National Championship at Omni La Costa Resort in Carlsbad, California, just in February. What was the last time you won a tournament before that? Uh, Probably... Uh, probably 2008, 2010, somewhere in that range, uh, probably right at the end of my playing career. Less than ideal conditions that day, GCM Magazine reported gusty winds and occasional rain made the going tough for everybody. Obviously, everybody's dealing with that, but you best navigated those conditions. What was the feeling like, especially on the second day of that tournament, and what was the feeling like to win an event for the first time in, as you just mentioned, more than a decade. So, yeah, going into it, it um, I wasn't overly prepared. I'd, I'd been working a lot, and, and, and I'd played a little bit going into it. So my expectations, coming from a playing background, I, I felt like I could compete and, and, and have a chance, but my game wasn't entirely sharp. I, I felt like I could kind of get it around and see what happened. And the first day was good I played well and I think I shot one under par and didn't do anything out of the ordinary but uh, the can do like you said the conditions of the second day were were very difficult something that I hadn't prepared for obviously and uh, it was just very windy and uh, and it had some rain and and I I hit it pretty good but just kind of loose shots here or there and, and wasn't really doing a lot and I knew the conditions because the conditions were so tough that you know you just had to hang in there. And coming down the stretch, I think I I think I made six pars on the last six holes, which ultimately uh, won me the tournament. You know, some guys were you know making some bad numbers coming in, and it was real. I was really proud of the way that I performed, just from a competitive side, just being in the thick of it and. And just hanging in there, you know, and that's what I trained my whole life to do. And I just was lucky enough to hang on and win. And and it was it was very very uh, satisfying for me. And not playing a lot now, and uh, but it's great to get out there and compete and and and, and hit some shots under the in tournament conditions. You know, that's a real golf course. And, you know, you had to post a real score, so uh, it was a blast. I, I really enjoyed my time doing it. We're getting pretty close to the 2020 event. Any any aims to defend your title here coming up? Yeah, I, I plan on uh, – We go, I go to the show with my company, uh, with our management group every year, and I definitely – I'm planning on playing unless something else comes up or I, I'm not able to go, but – yeah, I'm, uh, I haven't played a lot of golf here or there, and try to practice up a little bit. And yeah, I'm, I'm plan on plan on playing. Your history with the game. There are a lot of superintendents and directors of agronomy, and just turf heads all over the industry who obviously love the game. It's why they got into doing what they do to stay tight to the game as long as they can. Uh, a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people. Your history with the game is even more tight you played for 13 years on mini tours and and trying to qualify ultimately for the pga tour fell a little bit short of that but my goodness playing professionally for 13 years is is an incredible feat you started 
in what year was it? Was it the 2000s or was it still the 1990s? It was 1996. Oh, I my gosh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to give you a little backstory to that, I, um, I grew up in a little town called Martinsville, Virginia. They have a NASCAR race there. That's what it's kind of known for, but kind of southeastern Virginia. And, and just, you know, we had a nice little blue-collar country club there and a lot of great players came out of that area and I think we had like 20 kids play division one golf out of that one country club alone had a great golf pro there his name was Wayne Haley he's since passed away but he was like a father figure to me and and he just he taught us all about life and and that's where I kind of started I worked at the golf course worked on the maintenance side mowed greens changed cups during the summers and just hung out at the course, you know, and got dropped off first thing in the morning and picked up at dark, and, and I, that was my life, you know, and, and built some great relationships and, and friend, lifelong friends there. And that's basically how I got into golf, and, and, and he pushed me to, you know, to be, want to become a professional golfer. And I was picked it up very quickly and was you know, had some talent and started playing in some little tournaments and, um, and ultimately got a golf scholarship to uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. Um, played golf there, um, but I didn't really have any money. So you got to have money <laughs> to play professional golf. And my family, you know, we were middle, cal- middle class. I didn't have any uh, really financing available. So I took a job in a golf shop in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, kind of just like at a resort kind of thing, just checking golfers in and working the bags and uh, cart barn and all that just to get started in golf to try to make some money. And and I started playing in some um, little section events and stuff like that, like PGA stuff, and assistant stuff, and, and I started winning tournaments. And all of a sudden I started bankrolling a little bit of money. <laughs> um, and ultimately that's where I met my wife. She was a golf pro. Uh, she, she was, she played the mini tours for a couple of years and just couldn't, couldn't really do a lot with it. So she took a job and we worked at the same golf course in Myrtle beach, a place called the tradition club in Pauly's Island. And uh, we met and, you know, so on and so on, and and then she got a job at Sea Island uh, Golf Club in Sea Island, Georgia, and you know we talked it over, and I, I like I said I'd won some money, and I didn't have a lot. I maybe had five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or something, and she's like, well, we're, you know, you're playing great. Why don't you just try to play in some tournaments and let, let's just give it a go? And we moved down there. She worked at the Island Club there. And I started playing full-time, and I wasn't very good. I mean, I was so-so, but, you know, you start out young, and you're not, you don't know how good you are. And, and I just figured out really fast that I, I needed to be better, get better, you know, tournament to tournament to tournament, because I was playing with my own money. And we, would, we lived on nothing and had nothing, and she would pay entry fees for me. And it just it was it was like... <laughs> it was it was crazy. I can't believe it to this day that we even accomplished that. But I'd win a little bit here or there, and then I'd, you know, get better and keep winning. And all of a sudden, you know, I'd, I'd rolled up some money. And basically that was my whole 13 years is I would play all year with my own money. You know, when you're playing with your own money, you practice pretty hard. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that, but... When somebody's sponsoring you, eh, maybe you don't feel so good, you don't go. But when you're playing with your own money, you get up and you go. And that's what I did every day. And I knew that if I won the tournament, it was my money, you know. And that got me out of bed every day and made me practice and, and, and just loved every minute of it. But that's basically it. I would, I would, whatever I made from the year before, I would just roll it into the next year and obviously go to tour school and, try to, you know, better my status. And uh, so I did that for 
13 years or so, and, you know, there were a lot of ups and downs. You know, I'd have years where I played really good and uh, won a good amount of money, and then years that I probably lost money. So I wouldn't change it for the world. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I got to travel places I would have never been, you know, from a kid from southeast Virginia. You know, I've been all over the country, played some great places. Uh, it, it was it was a really special thing for me. You mentioned some up years, some down years. Obviously, winning helps the up years. If you don't mind me asking, what was your best year on the tours? So, probably my best year money-wise, I probably won $150,000. Uh, but you spend seventy or eighty to travel and all that. So, you know, it's not like you're killing it and I mean all the money's on the tour obviously and I mean even like the corn ferry or whatever they call it now. I mean those guys are struggling, you know. They're you know, they may make two hundred grand but they spend a hundred. Right. You know, you, you you know, that's that's the hard part of it is um until you get to that top level, that's where the money is and these guys that are playing the mini tours, they're 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 trying to make a living and they're trying to survive, but the ultimate goal obviously is is to get all the way to the top. And your wife Kelly, also a PGA pro, she was on the bag for you quite often, right? I know she paid your entry fees, you said, but there were a few stories yeah. out there where she, she caddied for you as well. Yeah, she she would come out and uh you know, if she, if she if she got away from work she would come out and she's unbelievably supportive you know being around golf her whole family her dad's a golf pro her brother's a golf pro you know so they know the game and and obviously she played at florida state she's a great player and she she knew every day you know what i was going through you know which is huge you know i i'd come home from a bad round and she knew that it would be hard you know and uh, I was tough on myself, and but she knew how to give me space and let let me recover. And then then we'd talk about it, and uh, uh, she she was great as far as caddying. You know, uh, we we you know we had our ups and downs there too. It's tough, it's a tough deal, but she's been so supportive. And and to this day, I mean, she wants me to go to the golf course and play because she knows it makes me happy. Uh, when I'm on the course, I'm happy, you know, whether I'm just playing with my buddies or even playing by myself. It's uh, it's kind of my happy place, and and I miss being out there, you know, like I was, because when your life is um, basically consumed with it for years and years and years, it becomes a part of you, and, and, and when it goes away, it, it was tough for me, you know, and, and I still struggle to this day, you know, with – you know, missing missing the competition and missing just to get up and to go and, and to drive, you know, it's a dream. And uh, that's that's the hardest part is uh, realizing that it didn't work out, but that, that's okay. You know, things, things move on and, and you move in a different direction and you, you do the best you can. There are not too many superintendents out there who could probably just trounce their club pro you're one of them, and there aren't too many superintendents out there uh, married to really, really good golfers as well. So I don't know if you're one of one, but with those qualifiers, you're probably one of only a handful uh, in, in the country. Pretty incredible circumstances you've, you've got there. Definitely, definitely. It's, uh, it's a very special relationship. You know, my wife and I, we don't really, I mean, we'll go play a little bit here or there, but it was funny early on in my career we never played together because she was still a little competitive and I was obviously <laughs> very competitive and and, and we get out there and, and and let's say one of us wasn't playing great and we you know we'd be all mad and we'd end up driving in like after four holes and both just couldn't stand to be out there with each other and we've since moved on from that we can go out and play and enjoy it but it was just so you get two highly competitive people doing something that they're good at. It's just you know it's not always the best circumstances, but you know looking back on it, you laugh and you say, "How in the why were we acting like that?" But it's just it, it, it's been an unbelievable. My wife has, has been great through the whole process. 
we'll circle back to the, that part of the story in a few minutes. Let's go chronologically through some highlights of your career. And the first one comes from a book called Birdies, Bogies, and Bipolar Disorder, The Fight Against Mental Illness on and off the green. Not your book. Um, it's Michael sure. Wellington's book. But I bring it up because you were mentioned in this book. It was originally published in 2015. And it has a scene from a 2001 Q School uh, practice round. I'm just going to read this to you. It, it, it just, it, I think, embodies kind of the lifestyle that you lived for so, so many years of just, like you said, always struggling, some highs, some lows. You're spending half of what you're making. Uh, and this is Michael Wellington in his book, Birdies, Bogies, and Bipolar Disorder. I got a taste of just how talented Q-School com- competitors are in my first practice round. Most practice rounds consist of playing a few extra shots with a different ball on each hole, as well as making extra putts on each green to get a feel for the course. Uh, my childhood friend, Johnny Mullen, had caddied for me before, so we were focused on taking the lay of the land when on the sixth tee box, he pulled me aside to share some important information about my player, or my partner in the twosome, Steve Gilly. Steve has birdied four out of the first five holes and has only been playing one ball on each hole, he mentioned. Are you sure, I asked. I hadn't realized it because I was hitting a lot of extra shots of my own. He birdied one, two, four, and five, and has only played one ball the entire time, Mullen explained. And, and hearing what you, you say now, maybe you're playing one ball because you don't want to buy extra balls. He birdied one, two, four, and five. He's only played one ball the entire time. This was not good news. I should have noticed that, but I had been distracted by our running baseball banter. As a Cardinals fan, I couldn't ignore that he was an Atlanta Braves fan. Well, shoot, I said. Let's stay out of his way for the rest of the day and see how low he can go. When a player is taking it really low in a round of golf, the Cardinal rule is don't talk about it. It's very much the same as when a major league pitcher has a no-hitter going. You don't say a word. Gilly stayed hot through the front nine, making three more birdies at 7, 8, and 9 to shoot 7 under par on the front side. My dad, who was following our group, said to me on the walk to the 10th tee, did that guy just shoot 30 on the front? 29, I corrected him. Keep him loose on the back nine, he advised. Let's see how low he can go. So very supportive. Gilly stalled a bit on 10, 11, and 12, making three pars in a row. Stalling, only pars. He recovered slightly with a birdie on 13 to go to 8 under for the day with five holes to go. Mullen and I started doing the math while walking down the 14th fairway. Mullen figured that if Gilly birdied the rest of the holes, he would shoot 59 for the round. Gilly chipped in from short of the 14th green to move to 9-under for the round. We all celebrated when his ball disappeared into the cup. He made an easy birdie on the 15th, reaching par 5 in two mammoth shots. He was 10-under, which is three holes to go. He threw a dart to within two feet of the hole to 16 and went to 11-under. I'd never seen a game like this. He made a scrambling par at 17. No doubt a score of 59 was on his mind at that point. He needed to hole a shot from the fairway at 18, so we kept him preoccupied with small talk at the tee. He hit his approach to 6 feet from 147 yards and made the putt for an incredible 12 underscore of 60. We all shook hands and left the green marveling at what an amazing round he had just put together. And then here you come in with a quote, One day too early, Gilly lamented, because it was a practice round. I mean, that, that was life for, for so many years. You had a lot of rounds, but... You know, I don't know. I, I just thought that was a great anecdote. Uh, any memories of that Q school in particular or days like that? And, and we'll get to your 55 here in a few minutes. So, yeah, I don't, uh, not that I shot 60 every day, but I, I, I might have remembered some of that. Yeah. But, um, um, you know, that pretty much embodied my, my whole career <laughs> pretty much, unfortunately, but. I don't remember exactly. I mean, like I went 13 times and probably played a lot of practice rounds and probably didn't really put too much on it just because I knew it didn't count, right? I mean, if that makes sense. Um, But, you know, 60-60, and that's an unbelievable score. And um, I I always had the, the, the ability to go low for some reason. I mean, I remember being a 16-year-old kid and shooting 60 at my home course. You know, at 16, I mean, that's unbelievable. And shot of a lot of very low scores. And I think it's just growing up. I mean, it's the same course that I shot the 55 on, and we'll talk about that. But growing, it's very short and old-school country club, you know, like 6,200 yards, 
dog legs, really small greens. So, you know, you just learn how to play and you learn how to score. That is super valuable in, in the, today's game. And I didn't, I didn't took it for granted when I was a kid, you know, because you would drive it up close to the greens and you had to learn how to get the ball in the hole. Um, and, you know, you just – and I didn't. I thought, oh, it's a terrible little course. It didn't, doesn't do anything for you. I want to go to this big, you know, big, massive – 7,300-yard place. That's where I wish I grew up. Looking back on it, I'm, I'm so glad I grew up at a little country club like that because, you know, you, you learn how to play. And, and in today's game, you know, it's, you know, hit it long and try to, you know, gouge it out. It's just so much different than back then. You learn how to putt and you learn how to – we didn't have a driving range at my club, so I, I never really learned how to practice. I would just go play and – and today, you know, everybody wants to stand out there and hit seven irons all day. And I just, that wasn't how I grew up. I, I grew up, I'd go out and play and play the first three holes and then come back to the putting green and putt for an hour and then do the whole thing over again, you know. And to, to answer your question, I don't remember, I remember shooting that score, but I don't remember the whole story about it. So it's really cool that he wrote about it like that. You know, but, yeah, it's always a day short or a day too early, <laughs> I guess. And you say you don't remember the, the exact round. I'm just amazed that the quality of note-taking he had to have taken because that book was published 14 years after that round. That's, that's Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I can't – I don't remember it, not saying that – I shot a lot of low scores playing golf, and um, and I probably took them all for granted. <laughs> now I can't shoot low anymore, but – but when you're in the groove like that and you're playing well, you know it's just it's you kind of you know you work you work hard and and you you try to expect to go out there and perform and and that's what I did. You shot a handful of sixties, right, including that one and including uh, the one when you were sixteen. And there were some others, I think, right? Yes, um, I think a couple of other ones, and I, I shot sixty-two several times and. I played this tour in Myrtle Beach kind of early on in my career, and I've set, I don't know, probably 10 course records there in Myrtle Beach, um, you know, during that tour and practice rounds and stuff like that. It was it was a crazy time, and, and you know, you wish you could bottle that up and, and continue it on, but golf is golf's a very hard game sometimes. So the round in 2001... Nice story. It's been immortalized in a book, but the round that, if anybody knows anything about your career, just because it's been written about, I think, more than any of the round you've ever played, including your recent GCSA National Championship, May 17, 2004, it was uh, just a fun day on your home course um, at Linwood Golf and Country Club uh, near Martinsville, mm-hmm. Virginia. And it was a great thing you were with your buddies, Jerry Wood and Tommy Joyce, because if you're playing solo, how do you confirm it? But a <laughs> yeah. 55, and, and at the time it was the third confirmed 55 ever ever recorded. Uh, there's been one since then, and you are one of three people living on this planet right now who've shot a confirmed 55 in a round of golf. Just incredible. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think back on it and, it's still unbelievable, and and I don't really bring it up because most of the time people don't believe me anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> if somebody wants to talk about it, yeah, I'll talk. And it was a crazy day. I, the whole story was I was I was home uh, visiting some family, and I was preparing for U.S. Open qualifier in uh, somewhere in North Carolina, which wasn't too far away. And um, and I'd I'd been there two or three days, and I played the course practicing, you know, and I shot some really good scores, like a 61 and 62, and and I was telling just one of my buddies, I'm like, I can shoot in the 50s out here. I know I can. I know I can. And as it turned out, the next day, uh, my buddy Jerry, who who played on the Nationwide Tour and was a great player, played at BCU also. Uh, he asked me if I, or I asked him if he wanted to play, and somebody else joined us. I can't even remember now, but anyway. And we, you know, usually we do a little gambling, you know, here or there, a couple of bucks here or there. For some reason that day we didn't. 
we were just out there having fun and, and playing. And I'd, I'd got, I'd shot, uh, I think I'd eagled the fourth hole to go four under through four and birdied five and six. So I'm six under through six, which I'd, I'd been there before. It's not like I was like blown away or anything. I'd, I'd, I'd been that many under, uh, at some point on that course before. So I parred seven, eight, and nine. Um, seven, I missed the green. That was the only green I missed all day. Got it up and down from the front bunker. Um, eight and nine are very not very hard, not hard holes, but I ended up parring both of those. So I turned it six under. Uh, ten's a little short hole, and I drive it down in front of the green and then hole it out from like 50 yards for eagle. So I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, here we go, you know, eight under through 10. And then I birdie 11 and I birdie 12 and I birdie 13. So I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many under that is, but the, the funny thing was, is, you know, you, you, I'm, these are my childhood buddies and, you know, we're giving each other a needle in the whole time and, you know, talking junk and, uh, laughing and everything and you know we get to about number 12 and all of a sudden they don't say a word you know and it's just like complete silence they're scared to death and and i'm still you know going along playing hitting good shots and uh birdie 13 birdie 14 birdie 15 and at this point i'm thinking in my mind that i'm i'm a lot under par <laughs> and i don't know how many under i am but i it's pretty it's getting serious now. Like, I feel like I can shoot in the 50s. Um, so I, I, I birdie 17, um, make like a 20-footer. And, and these are not all tap-ins. They're like good putts on greens that are rolling like six. I mean, they're like terrible. And I'm just making everything. And, you know, that we're just going crazy. So 18 is a little short layup hole. You know, it's normally like a full iron and like a wedge. Well, I'm like really shaking at this point. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's out of bounds left and like water right. I'm thinking all I'm going to do is knock this thing out of bounds and like ruin this whole round, you know. <laughs> so I pull out like a seven iron because <laughs> I just want to hit the fairway. And I ended up having to hit like nine iron in where normally it's like a flip wedge. And I hit it to like five feet and... I, I hit a, hit the putt, and it kind of lipped in and looked like it was going to lip out, and it lipped in, and and it was just like I turned around to my buddy Jerry, and I said, what did I just shoot? Because I have no idea. And he said, you just shot 55. And I'm like, no way. You're kidding. He's like, you eagled the tenth, and you birdied every hole in the back nine for 25. <laughs> and And I'm like, okay. I just shot 55, and he's like, yeah, I just saw it. It's, it's the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. And um, and we went up to the pro shop, and the, I told the pro, and he's like, get out of here. You're, you're joking. You know, he didn't even believe me. And it took him like an hour to believe me. Like, my guy, the guys I was playing with, or, they're like, no, he just shot 55. You need to, like, take the card or – sign it or something or get afraid i don't know i don't know what we do but but it was just one of those days and like you said you you get in the zone i was obviously in the zone i mean everything i did went correct that day i mean right at the flag making putts didn't really miss a shot all day i think uh for the stats i looked at the stat i kept the stats for that day i, I hit 17 greens i don't really might have missed one or two fairways I had 20 putts on the day for 18 holes, which is probably a record in itself. But the 30 on the front is unbelievable, but the 25 on the back right. is just insane. I mean, I mean, it's a putt that's putt like a score. scramble score. Yeah, that's yeah. like a scramble score. And I mean, to this day, it's almost still unbelievable to me, you know. And I, I did it. Like you said, it was great to have those guys with me to, to witness it, and and it was just. You know, you think back, and and the crazy thing was, is I went to the U.S. Open qualifier two days later and shot 71. So that just shows you that golf 
is just amazing. I mean, it's a crazy game, right? I shoot 16 under one day and one under when it mattered. And that's why people go crazy playing this game. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not even a a month to month or week to week game. It is a day to day game. You could be day to day. And sometimes absolutely hold the hole. But uh, Oh yeah. Absolutely. According to Rand Jarris, who uh, was contacted by Randy King of the Roanoke Times not too long after your round, uh, at the time, Rand Jarris, I don't know if he still is, a USGA historian, found that at the time, the only other 55s, E.F. Stoggard, and you've probably heard this many times before, E.F. Stoggard, yeah. uh, in 1935, shot a 55, 17 under in Montebello Park, California. That was on a 6,419 yard course. Uh, arguably the most famous 55 was Homero Blancas, uh, still alive. Mm-hmm. He did it in 1962 uh, in Longview, Texas, 5,002-yard uh, par 70 course. Yeah, he played the same nine twice. Yes. Or he played was a nine-hole course, yeah. And then since you did it in uh, in 2012, uh, an Australian, Rain Gibson, shot a 55 at River Oaks Golf Club in Edmond, Oklahoma, that was a uh, 6,850 yard par 71 course, but uh, I mean, just to even be in that conversation and to be one of the four, you had a few quotes right afterward. Uh, this is with the Greensboro News and Record, uh, July 2004. Uh, you talked with Todd Graff. What kind of reaction have you received since shooting that 55? You said a little bit of coverage here and there. Mostly, it's just guys on the mini tours giving me a hard time. It's been pretty neat, though. It's still hard to believe. It's one thing to shoot 59. To shoot 55 is unbelievable, and you're saying this with a couple months of hindsight, even though it did happen. Uh, Todd Graff asks you, do you have to remind yourself that it did happen? You say, sometimes, I mean, to shoot that low, I'd never shot in the 50s before. I'd shot 60 on four different occasions, including once when at Linwood I was 16 years old. But to go that that deep, that was pretty amazing. And, and still, it's been 18 years uh, does it still pop up in your mind daily, weekly? How often? Uh, probably every so every few weeks or so. Okay. Or um, you know, it's not it's something that happened. And you know what? Really, it kind of clarifies to me that I was a great player and not a great player, meaning that I won all these tournaments, but that I had the ability and the talent to to shoot a score like that. Uh, no matter if it was a little pitch and puck course, and you know it, uh, it still, in my mind, made me think that you know that that what all that I worked for and, and was really, really, really paid off for that one round, and, and obviously my whole career, I was I was happy with how it turned out. To be honest with you, we skip ahead from. The, the greatest round of golf you play to 2012, and coincidentally, uh, March 31, 2012, six weeks to the day before Australian Rain Gibson matched your score with the fourth recorded 55, very close in terms of time. Uh, this is from the Houston Chronicle. You were, uh, you were playing a U.S. Open sectional at Lakeside Country Club, and they're just kind of going back a couple months. On March 31, this is 2012, the then 40-year-old Gilly, who won 25 times on the mini tours and once shot 55 in the U.S. qualifier, was practicing in the late afternoon, then went to play a few holes at his home course when he basically collapsed on the second hole. He struggled to make his way back to the clubhouse and was initially diagnosed with vertigo and sent home. A few days later, however, when he couldn't regain feeling in his right arm and hand, he returned for more tests, was told he had suffered a stroke, and was hospitalized. Most people suffer a stroke and and they're in the hospital immediately. You went about living your life for a few more days before you wind up in, in the hospital. What an incredible situation. Very scary, I'm sure, once you found out the diagnosis. How how did that affect just everything, really? Your life, your game, and, and just everything? Yeah, so I was, you know, like you said, I was, I was out on the, ended up being on the first hole, I think, and I'd hit two balls into the green, just kind of messing around, and that's something I would do a lot in the afternoons after work. And it was a, a little bit of a warm day. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe I just got a little hot or something. But I hit two shots to the green, and then I, I 
fell to my knees. It's like the room started spinning or, or the, you know, above me just started spinning. I, I didn't know what was going on, and I kind of climbed back to the cart, and it took me like 20 minutes to get in because I couldn't see anything. So I get back to the clubhouse, and then I just became physically ill, you know, and started vomiting everywhere, and I said, something's not right. And my wife came and picked me up, and we went to the emergency room, and like you said, did they did some tests and um, probably didn't do the correct test, and looking back on it, it was not a great thing, but they diagnosed me with vertigo and sent me home, and I wasn't feeling great, and I actually went to work the next two days, amazingly, but just felt terrible, and and then I noticed my motor skills weren't great. You know, I couldn't shave and I couldn't brush my teeth. And I said, something's got to be wrong here. And I went back to my general practitioner and he started doing some tests. And he's like, you need to go to the emergency room now. He said, I said, right now? And he said, yes, right now. And sure enough, I had a blood clot go to my brain, um, shut me down for, you know, 30 or 30 seconds or a minute there for a while and and basically it was called a TIA you know um, some minor stroke I, I would say but uh, and so I spent four days in the hospital after that and they never could find what caused it they did all these heart tests and everything and because I was 39 years old and I don't drink I don't smoke uh, you know I'm in decent shape and they never figured out what caused it so I uh, basically that, you know, I had to do all this rehab to get my motor skills back. You know, I had to do it every week or so. But the golf part of that story is, you know, the U.S. Open was coming up, and I usually try to qualify, you know, just because I like and I want to do it. And I'm, I was talking to my wife, and she's like, I don't know if you can do it this year. You know, you're not obviously you're not in great shape and and the deadline was coming up and I said well I'm going to sign up because it'll give me something to to look forward to it'll it'll motivate me to try to go through this rehab and get better and, and I would say usually the qualifiers like six you know middle of May or something so six weeks later I go to Miramont Country Club and she caddied for me that day and um and I ended up making it through the first stage of U.S. Open qualifying six weeks after having a stroke. And that's the most amazing part of it all is um, I remember being on 16th hole and I'm one under or so. And and she's like, I, I remember saying to her, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. Like I physically I was struggling, like I was tired and. She's like, what do you mean you're not going to make it? You're playing great. You're going to get in. <laughs> and I'm like, no, physically, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish. She's like, well, come on, you can do it. You know, just hang in there and we'll get some water or whatever. And so I ended up finishing the last two holes and I ended up qualifying. So that was just an amazing part of the story to where, you know, in life, sometimes you need something to motivate you and drive you to get better. And I was so lucky. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to this rehab, and there's there's people in there that had similar stuff to me that can't even move their right side. So I just remember the doctors telling me that you're never going to be able to play golf again. And and I, they said, I said, competitively? No, they said, not at all. You're, you're going to really struggle, you know, with your motor skills and your, you know, your fine-tuned. Uh, skills and and that just drove me to to to, to fight through it and, and to this day I gotta watch it you know I I gotta watch the heat and I gotta watch my my body and you know I still struggle with overdoing it a lot of times but it's just an amazing story you know I look back on it and think man I can't believe that happened but it really reshaped me as a person you know and um, made me appreciate, you know, what what I have and my family. And it was just, it was another incredible thing that happened in my life. I mean, to look back at your playing career, and we're not even into your, your, your uh, superintendent portion of your life here, but to shoot 60 as a teenager, to spend 
your teens and early 20s playing competitively uh, in college to spend most of your 20s and 30s uh, playing on mini tours, going to Q school, trying to qualify for the PGA Tour, to shoot a 55 in your early 30s, to shoot a 69 six weeks after suffering a stroke with your wife caddying for you, recently to win the GCSEA National Championship and again trying to to defend that title next year. Are any of those your favorite round or is or is your favorite round just something else entirely that, that hasn't been written about or mentioned or, or just a quiet day on the course? Yeah, I don't I don't know that any of them were my favorite. Um like I told you before, I, I just love to play golf and I don't even have to gamble. I don't even I just like to go out there and play. If it's hanging out with my buddies and you know, just hitting some shots or, or being around the golf course. I mean, that's that's what I did my whole life, and I think that's what drove me into being a superintendent is I could still be around golf and still play some golf if I wanted to. And But I don't remember any particular round that's like really stands out. I've had a lot of great, great rounds in my life. And I will tell you that winning tournaments, it's probably the best turn, best feeling you're ever going to have as a golfer. Now, obviously, losing tournaments is the worst, but <laughs> um, I just remember driving home after winning a tournament, and it's just like pure happiness to me. And and that's what you work for, and that's why you, you know you hit all those balls. And and I tell kids now, you know, that's that is the best part about it is is working hard and then achieving your goal. And I just, I miss that part of it. You know, I go out there and I work on my job and there's not anything like that that's like pure excitement to me uh, as I was when I was playing golf. You mentioned earlier in our conversation that you started your maintenance career in earnest uh, while you were still a teenager, cutting cups, uh, going out just doing work here and there. But then you, it sounds like, took, took a long break from the maintenance side of the game. When and how did you get back in to the maintenance side? This was in your, in your early 40s? Yes, that would have been. Um, actually, I, we were living in Atlanta uh, before we moved here. And in the winter times, I would struggle. I would, I would look for stuff to do. And I had a buddy who was a super in, in Atlanta, and I basically... You know, asked him if, if uh, you know, if he needed some help in the winter, and 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 he was a great guy, and uh, he taught me a lot. I learned a lot from him just the short time I was there. But he, uh, you know, he basically would have me come in and run the crew and learn about managing people, and and I think that that kind of sparked my interest in it. I was still kind of playing a little bit, and and when we moved here to Houston, I was still playing and. And we, I was struggling. I was breaking even, not, not doing anything spectacular. And and we were away from my wife's family. We had, didn't have any help here. So it was, it was like, all right, at this point, you need to figure out, you know, what you're going to do. And and it was very difficult. I sat down with my other wife, and, and she's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I don't want to be a golf pro. I've done that. That's terrible. <laughs> um and I don't want to sit in the cubicle, and I don't want to wear a suit and tie. And, and I, you know, I, I drew back on what I did as a kid, you know, working on the course. And, man, I just love being outside and being around golf. And she's like, well, why don't you, you know, see if you can find a job around here. And this is in the Woodlands. And, and basically I just got an application, at, you know, and um, – and there was like a second assistant position at the Woodlands Country Club, the Palmer course. Uh, uh, superintendent named Nick Johnson. I uh, went in for an interview, and I'm like, I've been around the game my whole life. I don't know the science of it all, but I do know what a golf course should look like. I know uh, I can learn, and if you teach me, then we can do it. And And he took a chance on me, and I started out as a – spray tech basically and I was spraying every day and and I loved it you know and and basically worked my way up Uh, I was there for five years so by the time I left there I was a first assistant and then 
three years ago, I just got my first superintendent job. Another example where a guy took a chance, a guy named Carter Hines, uh, was a, a director um, of agronomy for Sterling Golf. And he basically called me up and said, I have a course, a public course in Conroe that needs a superintendent. If you want the job, it's yours. We're not even going to interview. You've, you're, you know, you've got great references. You work your tail off. So I went and looked at it. It was pretty rough. Um, and I did, I was a little overwhelmed, you know, thinking, man, can I really do this? You know, I'm, I, I didn't go to school for this, blah, 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 you know, but I'd learned, you know, learned a lot about being hands-on and all that. And, uh, he said, okay, if, if you want it, it's yours. If you don't, then I'm going to give it to somebody else. So I accepted the job and I've been there this week will be three years there. Um, and it's been unbelievable, you know. I, I really turned the place around. But it's, what's what's really cool about it is people took a chance on somebody that wasn't, you know, completely. They 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 took a chance because I had the passion, right? And I, I believed that I could make the place better day to day. And one of our mottos is try to make it better than the day before. And each day I show up, I try to make the course better. Uh, than the day before and that was and after playing and all that to me that was the really cool thing the coolest thing is is they they took a chance on me and um and so far it's worked out I, you know i love what i'm doing and you know it's it's been an unbelievable experience has there ever been a time in your life when you've gotten a job without having to interview it before this one well, I really that was really my first job. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but but because uh, I worked for myself pretty much my whole life. But no, I mean I definitely that was the first time I. And the reason that I did I didn't get have to interview is because he knew the guy that hired me really well. Initially, Nick Johnson, uh, they they were good friends, so they obviously talked about my work ethic and my ability to learn and and stuff like that. So. It's all about relationships, right? You know, you, you build relationships in this business, and and that sometimes that can help someone, you know, get a job and, and, and better their career and better their life. And and looking back on it, it's been a great thing for me. Three years into your time at Panorama Golf Club, and congratulations on the anniversary with uh, – with your wife Kelly having such a great history with the game as well, have you gotten her out on the course to to help you with anything? Any mowing? Any spraying? Or is she just like, "Honey, please, I'll just play on your work." Yes. Uh, no, I haven't really got her out there. She came out and ride around a few times, check it out. But you know, she works for the PGA of America now, and she's she's like a career consultant for all of Texas. So she's very busy with her job. And, she helps PGA members, you know, um, if they're looking for work or help courses, post jobs and stuff. So golf is our life, you know, and, and you know, we try to we really we try not to overdo it with golf because it basically consumes us. So uh, we uh, we get out and play as much as we can, and uh, but I haven't quite had her up there yet. She's still shooting pretty low herself, still in the low 70s? You no. Know, yeah, if she plays the red red tees, yeah, she can shoot in the mid seventies. Maybe even break par if she's practicing a little bit. But she was a great player too. She's, you know, life and kids and um, everything takes away from your hobbies. And um, yeah, um, we still love to get out there and play. And speaking of kids, any of your kids uh, with a propensity for the game? Any any future sixties so, uh, or fifties in the group? Both of my kids, unbelievably, are not golfers. Oh and gosh. I tried to get them. Yeah, which is amazing, right, with our pedigree. Um, I tried to get them going early on, but they're both competitive dancers. So my oldest one's a ballet dancer at TCU. She's a freshman uh, at Texas Christian in Fort Worth. And, and my youngest one's also a dancer and sophomore in high school. So... You know, I've never really pushed them towards the sport. I, I, you know, if they wanted to go out there, we'd take them. But it never really, never really took on, you know. And 
I regret that a little bit, <laughs> just because I really would wish they would, you know, would have got wanted to be good at it, and, and it would have been some great times. But, you know, sometimes it, it just doesn't work that way. So instead they just gravitate to an, a physical activity that requires even more body control than golf. Exactly. And dancing. And money. And yeah. Money. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, uh, they, they, I'm so super proud of them. They're unbelievably driven kids, and um, they have a lot of, lot of in, you know, in them what I had when I was young, which is really cool, and uh, they just don't do it towards golf. They do it towards, towards dance and they're very competitive, and, 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 and that, you know, all you can do is support your kids and try to help them along and, and, and let them make their own path. Steve Gilley, Mr. 55, Panorama Golf Club superintendent, father of, of two wonderful dancers and the husband of a, uh, a great golfer herself. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Before I let you go, anything else that you want to promote or plug on off the course? Um, no, not really. I mean, you, you contacted me on Twitter, so I'm on Twitter and <laughs> I, uh, I like Twitter. You know, I, I, I try to be funny on there. I don't really take it too serious and try to post some things from work. And I think it's a great thing because you, you know, I had a guy contact me the other day asking about what rates and stuff we do. And, and I think that's really cool. You know, we've never done that 10 years ago. And, uh, it's really connected people in our industry, I think. And, uh, you know, there's always some stuff on there that you can just kind of, <laughs> you know, not not pay attention to or whatever. But people can contact, you know, check out my Twitter and watch me work hard and all that, I guess. And, but no, I don't, I don't really have anything to plug. I'm just, I like to tell my story. I think it's, I think it's a cool story, somewhat interesting, at, you know, at times and, it's just it's just cool to, to tell what you've done in your life, you know, and I think that's I think that's interesting sometimes. And on Twitter at is it KCL Gill and then of course the number fifty five. Fifty five, yes, that's correct. Yeah. So KCL Gill fifty five, if anybody wants to give Steve a follow, very entertaining Twitter account. And uh you have you have Kelly right up in your in your header photo, so showing what's really, really important. She gets the header you swinging a club only gets the avatar photo. That's right. Yeah, that uh, that picture is actually from the national championship. It's a really cool picture, and they had a professional photographer there taking them, and I got a lot of good pics from that, and it, it was a great experience. Well, again, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to talk and to tell your story on off the course on the Superintendent Radio Network. Look forward to uh, hearing more of your story soon, and. Maybe we'll see you at GIS coming up in a few months. Uh, hopefully I'll be there. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you.